perceptions are reality. Thank you. <laughs> now that I know. Um, hello, listeners. Oh yes, God. another wonderful Mona's laughing in the background because she just interrupted. Um, hello, listeners. <laughs> another exciting episode of um, Confused, where clearly we're confused this morning. <laughs> and what we want to know is who. Stay yes, true to our who, brand name. Who is in control of our brand? Who? Who, Mona? Is it the marketing team or is it us? Who is in control? Because it depends upon who you're talking to. And so many places I've been where, yeah, you're marketing, you can't, you can't do anything without somebody waddling over from the marketing team going, well, you can't do that. Mm. Or it's in the wrong colour. But mm. the interesting thing is that what is your brand? Is it a logo or is it a, um, a name? What is it? And who's in control of it? Now, my personal argument would be, this is my point of view, the brand is, the, is it's the vibe of the thing. The brand is um, overall your organization. How is it perceived? Mm. And that, that you can call it a number of different things, but it's how is it perceived? So if you call it, um, change the name from Cheesemonger Limited to Mr. Cheesy, um, it's, you, you're going to have an impact on the brand, but it's still the same organization whether you change the name or not um and who is my view is that we are in control of the brand the members who are making up the organization that's us and how we react with the outer world how we interface with everybody is a reflection and is part of uh, the brand and how we communicate is part of the brand. It's not just about using a correct Pantone or typeface. Um, there's more to it than that. And sometimes the structures of communication are such that I think they suffocate brands rather than protect them. And that, to me, is sometimes the reality of things. It's those internal processes and brands that are kind of uh intertwined with all these lengthy bureaucratic processes of getting a campaign together and releasing that and that even though they're trying to perceive trying to shape the perception of being simple and easy but it just doesn't match because i think the whole process the whole idea and the way the brand and the culture is within that organization is of something of lengthy processes and take an ad hoc approach which is which does not blend together and work with a single vision or purpose and that kind of flows somewhere in the long run in uh, even if it's online uh, campaigns on digital media but you can actually see it in the way that these processes and these services are provided that somewhere around the line it gives that impression of something's not working together it looks yeah. good and it's got the right color, it's got the right headline, and it's got the right font size, but it doesn't work. It's it's uh, my favorite whipping boy as far as that sort of thing with brand is concerned is, of course, Telstra. Mm. Where mm. They have, you know, every sort of, um, in inverted commas, brand thing going out there, which is, you know, the strong logo, the name recognition. And the brand well, that changes colors every, yeah, every frequently. Yeah. But the but the point is that it's it's um, its reputation as a brand is shot because mm. I don't think I've come across anyone yet who likes Telstra or who thinks they get good customer service from them. 
Mm. So if you look at that, I would say that's a complete failure of brand because the value of that business, um, this is where, again, I think uh, that business, being so big as it is, is only looking at turnover and infrastructure as value. It's not actually looking at its customer as value. It's literally looking at, we've got this miles of, of cable, we've got this number of customers. They don't seem, and that's why they, they can only compete on price. And, uh, and My favorite my favorite example, uh, especially this year has been, uh, I've, I've looked at quite a few larger organizations who have all this um, 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 in their annual reports and especially in their uh, CSR, corporate social responsibility side of things, they said they want to reduce their carbon footprint. Whereas now with this year, when it's actually, there is an opportunity to reduce the carbon footprint by making sure that as many as people as possible, well, where functional and where possible, work from home, they're actually asking them that this is only a short-term situation. We'll probably be getting you to work from the office sooner rather than later and this is not a permanent set. what about your carbon footprint oh no no that's 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 there that's there but that doesn't that doesn't work with the number of people working or using a premises you still have to be and so that's that's the perception there is yes we are very um very aware and we're doing something for the world and we care about the world but when it comes to actually making sure that your teams are able to be functional from a remote location because that is actually gets more work done and can be actually helpful in reducing the carbon footprint of these offices or premises or wherever these uh, larger offices are the, the 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 reality is far from uh, what the solution is and what the possibilities are so you can clearly you can clearly see that they say one thing but it's hard to live through that promise and that's why there we were seeing a lot of these younger smaller brands that are coming up with teams of five or ten or fifty or whatever that smaller number is where they they say something and they stick to it they come up with a really small uh promise a brand promise and then they live it do you think there's a there's a size limit though so when an organization gets above a certain size it loses contact with um itself and then on the surface yes but sometimes i also feel uh i've seen brands that have grown but it's the people who have been those values have still been retained so there are quite a few things there are quite a few variables that go into that question so yes if the initial vision or purpose why that brand was grown was just on the surface then yes it'll lose its uh, essence as time goes by and as it grows. But with a smaller brand, when they have that essence or they have that vision and purpose in, in like so ingrained that every time they hire even a new person, they're actually looking at those values in that person. When they are dealing with suppliers or other stakeholders or people to collaborate with, they're looking at those values and only then going through it. See, I find it interesting as well. Those businesses seem to do well are the ones that the executive have not lost touch with the yes. front line. Yes. And it, you look at McDonald's as a survivor. Uh, there's a business that is keep going. Um, hmm. Now, it's interesting that as part of that, everyone who joins flips burgers hmm. at least once a year. Hmm. So they, they go into a store and they flip burgers. Hmm. And... Um, 
they get the front line so they can actually understand and see the frustrations, the annoyances and everything else of the staff because mm -hmm. they're actually there working with them for, I think it's a fortnight a year. So uh, when you, there was also uh, one of the best banks I've ever worked with, First Direct in the UK, um, their senior executives used to go on the phones. It was entirely telephone-based bank but the executives used to take calls from customers. And you can, I think they, well, they still do. And that was one of the interesting things from the staff talking to me. And I said to them, you know, it's always brilliant. You're always responsive. You can always do. And she said, yes, because our executives get on the phones and understand what customers want because they so have to deal with it. It sounds to me like they they care about being real because how other how else would you know what to stra what strategy to come up with or how to solve a customer problem if you yourself as the business leaders haven't actually dealt with the issues um, on the front line. Absolutely. Yeah. And you see it a lot where where the executive teams lose touch. Mm. is where the executives have often been parachuted in, mm. often from the world of finance or from, from some other aspect, where they've never actually had to do what the business does. And there's so, also a breakdown in that scenario, even if they haven't... An, uh, I mean, there's no harm if they're coming from another line of speciality like finance or anything there. But even listening to the engine room within these organizations is also important. There are people who are working on the front line dealing with customers day in and day out. And when these when the sessions are happening about change or strategy planning for next year, there is there is an opportunity to actually have a chat to these people and actually listen to what they're trying to say and bring around those changes and work with them. I mean, there are some organizations where the larger organizations, you wouldn't expect the CEO of, say, a bank or somewhere to be uh, serving as a teller. But then that's the whole reason why you have this but why communication not? lines. Why? I agree. I 100% agree. But then if you look so at the time I, and the pressing issues and everything. But if if, a, if the CEO of McDonald's can flip burgers, then yeah, the why not? Yeah. bank can be a teller for a day. Yeah, why not? Those, Definitely. Those, you know, and the point is that this is where the disconnect is. The reason why the CEO of the of the bank doesn't is because he feels he's above it. Yes, and that, that's that's, right. a, that's very often where the disconnect starts. That's is right. that they're also they have different targets. I've worked in businesses where clearly the executive team of the business are being rewarded, and their mm. primary concern has nothing to do with the business because mm. their primary concern is is the share price and their bonuses. Mm. It's not about and you know their their primary concern is is their perception among stockbrokers. So they will spend more time patrolling around stockbrokers yes, than there you go. actually understanding their own business. Yeah. Now, and you clearly there's another example of this that's just coming up in my head right now is walking into the local um a spectacles shop and it's a good well-known brand they send you mailing letters every six months or every annually saying you're due for a checkup we care about our customers and we do this and we that you walk into their shop and you say okay there's a special going on I would like to get this and this can I just get a can I book in an order and uh, actually get a uh, get it sorted get a piece of invoice or whatever and they're like Oh, sorry, we not we can't do that. We have our manager's not on uh, yeah. uh, uh, on today, and she'll be in by the end of this week. So we'll have to get in touch with her, and you'll have to come back. And you're like, hang on, 
what just happened here? There was a letter that you've sent. So your brand or your organization's actually gone through that trouble of actually sending out those letters saying that we care about your cost, your health, your eye health, and blah, blah, blah. I've taken the time to actually, out of my schedule, to get in, come in inside a store. But there is a lame excuse. So it's either the management who's not given the staff the authority to issue pres uh, not even prescriptions, invoices or, or, or orders, purchase orders. Yes. And then you you were like, what? and then you're expected to not even that, okay, fine, we'll email it to you or whatever. There's no other, there's no other alternative that's offered, but it's been told that. So even they are trying to give the perception no. of saying we care, but the reality is, no, you don't care. And go away and come back. Yes. <laughs> and you stand there and you're like, did I just, was I just told to go away and come back on <laughs> another day? It's just because... The manager's not on there. It's like, oh, hang on. And there's three people there in the store. And you you really start to think, especially even for me, when I was walking out of the store, I'm just thinking, yes, that's fine. It's not their own personal business. So they don't give uh, uh, they don't give a damn about who, they'll still be paid their salary or wages or whatever that is. So they don't give a shit about who's, who's, who they're serving or whether they meet the well, budgets or be, not. There could be children listening, Mona. Um, <laughs> That's how pissed I can, off I am. I, I can only apologise for that profanity. Um, anyway, the, um, the, the, yeah, absolutely. And that's where you think, um, what are you forgetting? But this is, this is the disconnect about who is control of the brand, mm -hmm. is that that's where it's entirely disconnected. There's no, they don't understand the two words customer service. They mouth it, yeah. but they don't understand it. Yeah. You know, they, I've I've stood in meetings where they say, oh, the customer is king. OK, so can we do this for the customer? No. no. Can we do this? No. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, the customer clearly isn't king. Uh, the customer is, annoy is an annoyance mm. and a bit of a nuisance. Mm. Um, and you're really not thinking about what can you do. But this is this is where particularly, you know, I think going on as we get into these um this new sort of paradigm of working um, where the the nature of the connection that you have with your consumer will change. The mm. nature of, of how you interface with them with will change. And I think I have a feeling it'll get more real. I, I think it will. And I think it is it is interesting how small things are going to matter um touching base with your your customers mm. um as we've said before the nature of your communications with your customers giving them advice um you know saying you know i was i was talking to a client of mine who who happens to be in pet services and um she labels herself as a as a dog trainer and i said well actually if you look at your business that's so much more you can actually start your consultancy at the point where I'm considering getting a dog um, oh wow. and you can carry it through mm -hmm. all the way that if my dog passes away what is the appropriate thing I should do so there's... and see what you've done there subtly is you're talking about the stages that a person who has a pet goes through absolutely rather so... than yeah rather than talking it from a business perspective that this is the service I provide no you're talking about the experience of a person who has a pet or who's absolutely. considering getting a pet 
absolutely and mm. this is where you know we're thinking oh we've got two dogs now um we want to go away or we're both going away for work we really need puppy daycare so mm. how can we get that it's all these thinking about what the service is and thinking about what am i doing to actually provide a service to uh, a client you know that's where i would be useful and is another revenue generating possibility um so it's it's thinking and communicating about how you you what is it comes back to that point about what is the service you're providing it's 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 like telstra has forgotten that telstra has forgotten that it's providing a communication service what it thinks it's doing is it's providing um shareholder value. contracts yes it's it's forgotten that it's about communications and it's forgotten that it actually needs to improve it's like i, I it's, it's a small thing but when they're doing a new deal um i want them to tell me I, I want them to say oh by the way we've restructured our fee income and um we've reduced our fees uh, our costs um so we're putting you on this new tariff that will be cheaper for you yeah it's all in the fine print read it for yourself and the point is that they don't bother um, mm. if you don't kick them nothing happens now that's not customer service and then you know it's like i'm they've cut back their customer service even further i'm sure um you know and now it's you know the standard excuse oh because of covid and you think that's utter rubbish um i read somewhere uh recently where they said use this opportunity and i think i did mention this uh but use this opportunity as a time to provide better service if you know shipping's going to be late send out a message to your customer saying uh we have mailed your product five days before because we do know it's now taking extra long for you to receive your parcels and because we've done the thing at our end where we've released it five days earlier you will still receive it in time yeah because or, it takes 10 days to get or whatever or just admit you know we're really sorry but this is what's happening now and i've had people say that you know we're really sorry being delayed. but they started to use that as an excuse but if it's uh, exactly but if it's, if it's genuine, genuine yes that's fine mm. um and you can kind of tell by the tone mm. um you know, we'll mm. try and get to you as quickly as possible but and mm. then the number of companies now that are informing me that it's been dispatched mm. so i can see that their turnaround is good yes yeah, um, yeah. and i know it's in transit but um, mind you, not many of these companies pre-COVID had any of these digital side of things set up. So, um, yes, on the retail side of things, luckily they were trans online shopping had made it quite easy for most of the brands, brick and mortar brands also to be online and have all these systems set up. But in the services and the professional services industry, there's not these open update channels that are set up. And it's thinking through the process. The fascinating mm. thing is, I did a repeat order on something because I was buying a baby gate for the dogs um, and I needed some more brackets. Anyway, I reordered from the company. They sent an email back saying, uh, hi, Julian, thanks for coming back to us again. Wow. And it was like, oh, that actually was quite impressive. They responded really quickly, mm. um, you know, and and most of it might be automation, personalized oh, absolutely. automation. Yeah. It, was, it was 100% automation. But the yeah. fact was, you know, we really appreciate you coming back um, to us again. And I thought, you know what? 
if that was very good. The other thing they did do is they then sent in the first day four emails, which was too much. <laughs> so there is a balance to be struck between mm. assaulting your customer with deals and um, say and that personalization. And actually, I think the personalization is far more powerful because I've now unsubscribed from their emails, but I will consider using them again because they were fast and reliable and polite. Um, so, but it's it's getting that balance. I, I would use them again, despite the fact that they inundated with me with emails. It's it's a it's an interesting thing. So it'll be really an interesting time to see how these brands are able to shape their reality and yeah. actually be real on the other end rather than pretend to show that they're providing service. Um, exactly. Just be real and provide real service. So and that you actually are in control of your brand when you have to be. Anyway, thank you very much for that, Mona. That's the end of another um, episode of Confused uh, with Mona and Julian. Listening next time. Thank you very Thank much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.